Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Started from there, Miles. Shit. All right. CIM Rapport Stereo Podcast coming live and direct. Listen, sometimes we have reasons for dropping an out-of-the-ordinary podcast. Sometimes we don't. Okay? Today, there's no reason. There's no excuse. It's just a brand new I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast coming live and direct from the gloom tomb. Okay? We have special guest icon, true icon of all things that have to do with anything that's in the world of hip-hop from the Rocksteady crew. My main man, Crazy Legs, from the Boogie Down Bronx, one of the creators of every single thing that has to do with hip-hop. He's been boots on the ground, doing real work in Puerto Rico since the storm hit. Talk to him about that, everything he's seen, everything that he's witnessed. Going down to Puerto Rico multiple times since the hurricane with support of Red Bull. Plus, yo, it's Crazy Legs Rocksteady Crew. We got to get some hip-hop stories, all right? This guy was there from the beginning of the beginning. So we got the great Crazy Legs, the icon, and I don't use that word often. The legend from the Rocksteady Crew coming up on the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. Also got G Moody, last name rhymes with duty. And I'm going to go solo on that ass. All that and more 
on a brand new, hard-hitting, sloppy Steve Bannon, dick-stained Donald Trump, Golden Globe disgusting, LeVar Ball disgusted, hard-hitting, smash mouth, I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, coming up next. Stay with me. All right. My name is Michael Rapport. I am Rapport Stereo Podcast, the only podcast that prides itself. We pride ourselves on not fact-checking anything. Anything. That means that I probably can't be held accountable for any of the shit-talking I do here on this podcast that holds my namesake. Okay. So much has been going on. So many things have been going on. The Golden Globe Awards just happened. Holy fucking shit. NFL playoffs are in full effect. Both the teams that I thought were going to win the game Saturday lost. My Los Angeles Rams lost. Kansas City Chiefs lost. Somehow, someway, Blake Bortles-led Jacksonville Jaguars won. I'm not surprised by them winning because they have such a good defense and it was such a low-scoring, ugly game. Um, My man Leonard Fournette, um, they won, but they're in for a reality check in the next round. And uh, the New Orleans Saints, they won. They won a tough game. It was uh, looking like a blowout. uh, And then Cam Newton started to do his thing. Christian McCaffrey started to do his thing, uh, but inevitably, the New Orleans Saints won. Of course, if you haven't heard the Sean Payton interview, the New Orleans Saints, Sean Payton interview, I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast from just a few weeks ago, I strongly advise you check it out. I know there's new listeners of the podcast all the time. Uh, If you love football, that was an iconic episode. Already five, five mics. It's been given five mics. One of the best podcast episodes ever, ever. Um, but the NFL playoffs are underway. The shit's going down. The, the New England Patriots, I advise everybody right now, stop. Stop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin. Stop trying to make some shit up. Whether they have drama, don't have drama, whether Belichick Brady, and whatever the fucking owner's name is, whether they hate each other, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're throwing around rumors that Bill Belichick is going to leave the New England Patriots and come to the New York Giants after this season, and they all hate What well, It doesn't matter. Okay? They can't be stopped. Tom Brady's 40 and may have played his best season ever. This year, the motherfucker's 40. I'm starting to think he's on some robot shit. He's got no sense of humor. He's got that wide jawbone, that incredible chin, those deep set eyes. He looks like a fucking cyborg. Okay, and he's starting to play like one and behave like one. He's 40, playing quarterback at a high level. When he gets hit, he doesn't really get hit. You can't put hands on him. And I'm not getting involved with all this gossip in the playoffs. I want them to lose just as much as anybody else, okay? But don't add fuel to the fire. The next round of the playoffs looks like this. The aforementioned 
New Orleans Saints. My guys. Love that fucking team. Okay? My guys. The New Orleans Saints will be playing the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota. Considering going out there, but the... Those are one of those flights. That's one of those flights going from Los Angeles to Minnesota where you need to go up there uh, with your bootstraps tightened and a mouthpiece in your mouth. Because I don't care if you're in first class or business class or coach. If you fly Los Angeles to Minnesota, that's one of those flights that shit could pop off on. Okay? So I'm considering going to watch that game, but the weather and the fact that I don't want to like get into a fisticuffs on the way out there concerns me, um, but it may or may not happen. You might see me at the Minnesota Vikings New Orleans Saints game rocking an Archie Manning jersey. Okay, it could happen. The Atlanta Falcons, who beat the Los Angeles Rams, my Los Angeles Rams, my man Jared Goff. I wanted them to win. Uh, they're playing. So you got Minnesota playing New Orleans in Minnesota. You got the Atlanta Falcons playing the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia. In the AFC, you got the Tennessee Titans playing the New England Patriots. Okay? And the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to go to Pittsburgh and get their ass spanked by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay? That means there's eight teams, then there's going to be four teams, then there's going to be two teams, there's going to be a Super Bowl. Okay? Then Justin Timberlake is going to go out there, do what he does, and then, you know, It's almost coming to an end. I've been doing fantasy football Sundays for the last 17 weeks straight. I love it, but I needed a fucking break. I'm glad it's over. Even the dingo, even me, the gringo man dingo, senior fantasy football analyst, soon to be executive senior fantasy football analyst, needs a break too. Hashtag I need a break too. Um... What else is going on? This is major news. Now, we talked a bunch last week about Dick Stain, Donald Trump. We talked a bunch last week about sloppy Steve Bannon. And then Donald Trump, some point during the first week of January 2018, came out when they had their big breakup which apparently now they're, they're, they're back together. This is how you know these are two bitch-ass motherfuckers, by the way. And I'm going to get to that in a second. Because they talk shit in public, and then out of nowhere, they're back, oh, we love each other, we love each other. Like two bitch-ass marks. Donald Trump and sloppy Steve Bannon. Sorry, Dick Stain Donald, sloppy Steve Bannon. But when I heard Dick Stain Donald Trump refer to shit-stained Steve as sloppy Steve, I said, that sounds familiar. Okay? I said, that sounds familiar. And I, I, I talked to the people closest to me, my wife, uh, the Iron Rapport Stereo podcast team, G. Moody, Miles Jordan, Young Shooter. And I said, did I ever call Steve Bannon sloppy Steve? Because I feel like I would call him that. Now, it's not the most totally original name, but when you look like a piece of shit, like Steve Bannon, when you look like him, when you present yourself the way he presents himself, it's just easy. That man's name is Sloppy Steve Bannon, or that man's name is Shitstain Steve. Whatever floats your boat. 
Okay, and right away we couldn't figure it out. We were like, we, we, the whole team, whole crew, whole Iron Rapport Stereo podcast conglomerate was like, sounds familiar, sounds familiar. Boom! We found that you fuck. On January 30th, 2017, on this I Am Rapaport Stereo podcast, episode number 254, January 31st, the year of 2017, almost a year to the day, at the 28-minute mark, approximately 28-45-minute Mark, 28 minutes, 45-ish seconds into episode number 254. I was the first to refer to Steve Bannon as Sloppy Steve Bannon. Please play the fucking tape, Miles. He's got this guy, Steve Bannon, 2017's most famous white person with absolutely no lips. Keels, please send this guy... Sloppy Steve Bannon. We're starting a Twitter site called Sloppy Steve. This guy makes me look like a fucking fashion icon. Dresses like a homeless person that escaped a methadone clinic. Sloppy Steve Bannon. Mm -hmm. He's Trump's chief strategist. He's lashing out at the media, calling the press, saying they should shut the fuck up. They should be embarrassed and humiliated. No, you shut up, Steve Bannon. You sloppy, no-lip-having animal, you. Boom, you fuck you. There you have it. There you have it. Now, Donald Trump, you fuck. Do you want us to send you a Buttersoft Iron Rappaport Stereo Podcast t-shirt? Because obviously you're listening. Okay? That's a fucking copyright infringement. I called him Sloppy Steve Bannon. I called him Shit Stain Steve. Miles, play it one more time. He's got this guy, Steve Bannon, 2017's most famous white person with absolutely no lips. Sloppy Steve Bannon. It's a thing of beauty. Originality. Originality. That is what we bring at the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. We don't regurgitate other people's shit. We don't bite. Shout out to all the other podcasts that bite. Shout out to the other podcasts that bite our styles. Many styles. Many styles. Roy Moore's wife. The failed governor-elect. or Senator-elect. I don't know what the fuck he does. Fact check. I don't fact check. Down in Alabama, she was very brazen. Very, very proud of the fact that she had a Jew lawyer. Her Jew lawyer, as it turns out, as we already reported, voted for the other guy. That's the kind of Jew I like. I'm Jewish. That's the kind of fucking Jew I like. I'll represent you. I'll take your money. But that don't mean I'm going to vote for you, fucko. I like this fucking guy. Turns out her Jew lawyer may not even be Jewish anymore. Turns out like her Jew lawyer might have converted to Catholicism. That ain't my business. I don't give a fuck. But Donald Trump, I do have true blue Jew lawyers on the case, you fuck. Now, if you want to settle out of court with me for stealing my creation, the moniker Sloppy Steve, you know where to find me. You're obviously listening. This is my one and final offer to you. If you want to settle out of court 
I am open to a settlement. You filthy dog, you. Okay? But if I do not hear from you, if my Jew lawyers, who are Jewish, who are fucking Jewish, if they don't hear from you, this will not end pretty, you fuck. I came up with the moniker Sloppy Steve. I'm the fucking stable genius. This lunatic was tweeting all weekend, crying, yelling. I'm a genius. I did this. I got elected. Still talking about crooked Hillary. Blah, blah, blah. I'm the fucking stable genius. Okay? Me, you fuck you. You know where to find me, animal. One and only opportunity to settle this puppy out of court. I have my Jew copyright infringement lawyer on the case. I will not say anything more about this motherfucker. You know where to find me. So I am Rapport Stereo Podcast. Miles, let me get some funk. Let me get some funk. So the 0-16 Cleveland Browns parade went off. It went off without a hitch. A couple of days ago, Cleveland... Supposed, I don't consider them fans. Supposed fans, aka people with nothing to do on a Saturday, came out to the stadium where the Cleveland Browns, don't even know the name of that shithole, no disrespect to the Cleveland Browns, came out to the stadium where they played this season and lost every single game. Of course, eight games were at home, eight games were on the road, but you get the point. I don't support this fucking parade. Some people were saying this was a protest. They marched around in the snow and then formed a zero. Like zero wins. I got viciously attacked on Twitter. Viciously attacked. Minding my business. Stating my opinion. Got people saying, you suck, Rappaport. Movies suck. Your career sucks. You have a big nose. All these fucking things. I don't know why mean mean vicious attacks just a guy stating my opinion i went on cleveland radio stated that opinion very strongly some people said to me oh this is all on twitter that they went to the parade it went off without a hitch it was a great parade slash protest and everyone hated michael rapaport well fuck you man fuck you Football season's over for you guys, and the inevitable is coming. The Cleveland Cavaliers are going to make it to the finals, bearing injury, and they're going to lose again. And if I have it my way, I will be showing up in Cleveland for those aforementioned finals with my broom, with the same broom that I got last year. I will not be buying a new broom. No, no, my check-in bag, my luggage will have a broom packed in it. That's how bout it, bout it I am. That's how serious I am about that sweep life. They're going to get their asses kicked and heartbreak will ensue. And then LeBron James will be leaving Cleveland. And you guys will go back to sports anonymity where you feel most comfortable. Speaking of the great LeBron James, because he is great. He is sick. He might be playing his best basketball. I think it was the 15th season. MVP. He's the real MVP. He's the real MVP. That team is absolutely positively nothing without LeBron James. More so than Kyrie Irving. More so than Russell Westbrook. 
more so than my main man, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, who scored 45 points the other night. Steph Curry played the LA Clippers. He scored 45 points in 29 minutes of basketball in a pro game. Yo, you have to think about that. 45 points in 29 minutes is off the chain on a Saturday versus the Clippers in L.A. Like he was going to get ice cream, 45 points. And like a guy scoring 45 points is usually a big deal. When Steph Curry scores 45 points, you just, oh, yeah, oh, oh yeah, like that. Literally like you, you got an ice cream, a good ice cream cone, but you think that much about it. Barely twice. What was I saying? LeBron. He was at a basketball game the other day in Orlando. I don't support this behavior. I like to talk my shit from afar. I don't like to be disrespectful at the games. I think it's disrespectful. Showing up to the broom, minding my business. Not offensive. Okay? Not disrespectful. Taunting, yes. Okay? Harassment? Eh, I don't know. But two fans in Orlando showed up with shirts, T-shirts that they had made up with LeBron James's mother, uh, hemmed up, wrapped around, arms wrapped around. These are, of course, Photoshop shirts with Aaron Gordon, uh, Orlando, uh, Orlando Magic star, high-flying, high-dunking Aaron Gordon. I don't support that kind of behavior. I don't support it. I would never do it because my shit-talking ain't personal. It's business, to quote the great Michael Corleone. What else is going on in the NBA? Fucking LeVar Ball, stop. Motherfucking stop. Why they keep putting microphones in this bozo's face is beyond me. This is a guy who never did shit athletically. He never coached shit athletically. He wanted to be a professional basketball player. Wasn't shit. Wanted to be a professional football player. Wasn't shit. Had three kids, raised them the right way, coached them, never won shit as a coach. Coached them in AAU. They never won no big AAU tournaments. There's no banners with LeVar Ball's name on it because if they did have banners with LeVar Ball's name on it, we would know about it. He'd have them hanging outside of his fucking house. Got his two sons, one who's 16. I hope this fucking kid could read and write, okay? He's dropped out of school. He's in Lithuania, 16. And the other one, the one who's got the knack for taking things without paying, Lamelo. No, his name is Leangelo. I fucking know these guys' names. Lamelo, Leangelo, what the fuck his name is his. They had their first practice in Lithuania. It looked like some shit out of a third grade deaf, dumb, and blind basketball clinic. It looked crazy. Look up the footage of Lamelo and Leangelo. That's his fucking name. Look at their first practice in Lithuania, okay? There's special education classes that look more organized than the practices that were going over there in Lithuania. But this guy, LeVar Ball, making comments about the Los Angeles Lakers who are doing better than they should be doing, saying that the players don't want to play for Luke Walton anymore, The players are quitting. They don't want to play for him. And it becomes national news. That's what he said. He said, and I quote, Luke doesn't have control of the team no more. They don't want to play for him. Says who? Says who? Says you? 
Your son told you that? Is that what you want people to believe, that your son told you that? If your son did tell you that, why would you repeat it? You want his coach to think that his player, Lonzo Bull, is a snitch? Are you a fucking snitch? Do you want to work at TMZ? Big Bowler brand TMZ? It's a fucking gossip. And then the media, the fucking press, ESPN, Bleacher Report, all of them, they print this shit. And then when they're in front of Luke Walton, look it up. They, they, they ask him about this. They say, LeVar Ball said, blah, 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 blah. And Luke Walton being caught off guard because it's so unusual, so far-fetched, so whack, so corny, so low-brow, such gossip. This ain't the fucking Kardashians. This is not keeping up with the Kardashians. It's not even Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. But LeVar Ball is turning it into that kind of environment. They ask him, LeVar Ball said, blah, 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 blah. And Luke Walton has to answer the questions. Luke Walton, if you're listening, the next time they say LeVar Ball said, stop them in their tracks. Like, I don't give a fuck what that motherfucker said. And the reporter will be like, uh, excuse me? You heard me, motherfucker. I don't give a fuck what this motherfucker said. Who gives two shits? Who? I don't give a fuck. Ne- who cares? Ban him from coming to the Laker practices. Don't give him free tickets. Shut this motherfucker down. He's trying to cause dissension in an NBA team. And the press, so desperate. Because they can't come up with their own fly shit. Regurgitates this and asks an NBA coach, and he has to answer this shit. Luke Walton, the next time they say, uh, LeVar Ball is reported to say, I don't give a fuck what that motherfucking clown has to say. He ain't done shit. Bring him to the practice, Luke Walton. Play him one-on-one, bust his ass, and give him a bus ticket to fucking Tulsa. Get the fuck out of L.A. Bust his ass, Luke Walton. He says he could beat everybody. He says he could beat Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, Shaq. Bust his ass, Luke Walton. In practice, hopefully he'll tear a meniscus, stub his fucking toe, and send him on his fucking way and film the whole thing so his credibility is just shot. Ridiculous. Luke Walton's a classy dude. His son, Lonzo Ball, is not even top five rookie of the year candidate. He's not even top eight rookie of the year candidate. My guy Donovan Mitchell, Ben Simmons, Dennis Smith Jr., Frankie Cigarettes in New York is doing better than him. The big Polish kid, Austrian kid, I don't know what what he is. I don't fact check. I'm not fact checking. I'm free balling. I'm freeballing the Iron Rap Core Stereo Podcast where we freeball. Marking in whatever the fuck his name is. All better. All more pro, pro. Jason Tatum. All more prolific. None of them have a father criticizing the coach of their team. Trade this fucking clown. Trade him. Luke Walton, trade him. Make an example of him. He ain't all that. You could get some good players for him. Trade his ass. And the next time they bring that shit, be like, shut the fuck up. You're supposed to be a professional. Shame the reporter for even bringing that shit up. Undignified, whack bullshit, corny shit, TMZ, big baller brand bullshit. Big baller brand. 
When the going gets tough, the tough will stab you in the back and they may leave and go to motherfucking Lithuania. All right, when I get right back, I'm going to be with the legend, the icon, my guy, Crazy Legs from The Rocksteady Crew, talking to me about everything that's going on in Puerto Rico since the storm, giving me some vintage hip-hop stories, some Rocksteady stories, up in the Bronx where the people are fresh stories. Stay tuned for my main man, Crazy Legs from The Rocksteady Crew. And then after that, me and G. Moody are going to be discussing everything that went down with the Golden Globes. Stay with me. All right. Without further ado, the word icon, the word legend is thrown around too easily these days. This is an actual icon, an actual legend, an actual creator, a pillar, a true fucking pillar of all things hip-hop. My man, Crazy Legs, I appreciate you taking the time to rock me for a little bit on the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, man. I appreciate it, man. It's my honor. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm honored to have you, man. Um, You know, before I got some... You know, some rock steady crew right. questions, uh, you know, for you. But you're Puerto Rican, correct? Yes, sir. Born, born and raised born in New York City. Yeah. And you've been you've been uh, on the ground uh, and, and obviously the, the hurricane um, and all the destruction that's taking place in Puerto Rico. Uh, I want to uh, hear what you're doing, what you've seen um, and why you're doing it. Um, because, you know, like the thing thing about New York you know, for the, the listeners that are in New York, it's like, you know, the, the, the Puerto Rican community is such a part of New York City. You know, like other cities, uh, other states, there, there's different people from, uh, you know, all over the place. But but New York City and Puerto Rico, to me, growing up in New York City, it's synonymous. Um, so what have you seen? What are you doing? And how can I help? And how can the people help? And, and just talk to me about everything that you've been involved with since the, the hurricanes and such. All right, so uh, when I was first going down there, I was actually supposed to go down there before before Hurricane Irma, and being that that was coming up, I had to put, postpone that. I was actually going down there because I was uh, about to have some meetings for a, a music festival that I do in Puerto Rico called Puerto Rock Study, and I felt like, all right, well, I guess, you know, after Irma, I'll just go down there, and, and instead of having meetings, I'll just go do some volunteer work and try to help with the cleanup. And I'll deal with the work, the work stuff later. And then, um, you know, Hurricane Maria was coming right behind that, and realizing the the severity of it, um, I was I was seriously worried. And I have friends there that that I was concerned about. I have a home there, and I just was uh, in, in a situation that had me really, I guess, uh, emotional. And I told my boy. I was like, yo, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but the moment that I, that you see planes flying over Puerto Rico, I will be in one of those planes. I mm. didn't know how I was going to do it, and uh, fortunately, well, actually, well, one day I was, in, I was actually in Holland when I, when I, um, when the hurricane was happening, and I was at an event, and a lot of people kept, you know how it is, people come up to you, uh, autograph, photo, photo, all this other stuff, especially when you're at an event. And that like started getting to me. I wasn't emotionally there or, and, and my mind was just everywhere else. So I ended up going back to my hotel room and basically, you know, bawling my eyes out while I wrote a, a letter to a Red Bull. 
and I was basically pleading with them all, begging with them to help me help my people. And uh, they actually heard my call. And being that I've been down with them for, for now 16 years, they just said, yo, we got your back and we're going to make this happen. And we're not just going to do this on a one-off. This is going to be something for that one that, you know, we will work on for at least a year. And uh, they actually got me on one of the first um, first responder, I guess, I was one of the first responders there. We had a private plane. Uh, we brought water filtration systems down there because usually after a devastation like that, there's uh, contamination in the water that leads to cholera, leptospirosis, uh, E. coli, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we went down there to help prevent things like that. Um, and after I got on the ground, I've, I realized how many more needs there were uh, and uh, Red Bull had already co uh, connected me with Waves for Water, which is an organization that actually was doing work in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And when Hurricane Maria was coming, they went to Puerto Rico and kind of rode out the storm mm. just so that they can get to work as soon as the storm passed, which is, you know, that's major props to them because they're brave for doing that. And, um, you know, so I met them. I, I met with the people who do Lucy Lights, uh, Empowered, and I just met a whole bunch of people who enabled me to do a lot more than just the water filtration systems. So this, to date, we have helped over 140,000 people to have clean water. We've gotten uh, uh, solar lights, solar lanterns into areas that are, are don't have, that basically don't have power or we got them to communities that are of the deaf community and hard of hearing and uh, we just so that they're able to communicate when the lights go down mm. or when the sun goes down. And, you know, we just started doing things that we felt were necessary, whether it's uh, making donations towards the reforestation of, of Puerto Rico and agriculture and also supporting the Boys and Girls Club to start going in the, di going in the direction of having solar uh, panels so that if there is something that happens down the road, they'll be prepared to have a safe space for kids. So what have you seen, like, you know, what has been, uh, you know, the, the, the hardest thing you've seen? What has been the, the greatest thing that you've seen? Like, what have you seen with your own eyes down uh, uh, since the hurricane? The, the first thing that I saw was, oh, man, I, I had never seen, like, a, a whole bald island like that. It's like a bomb drop. Everything was brown. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm used to seeing Puerto Rico as, as being lush. You know, I have a home down there, so mm. I've I know the beauty of it, and I also know what it looks like when there's a drought. And this is just something that I had never seen before, and it was pretty bare. And uh, I was, you know, it, it was heartbreaking. For me, it was very emotional. Uh, the place that I normally do my uh, music festival had several of the buildings ripped out to sea or Damn. blown away. Um, yeah, beat, you know, just people's homes, rooftops ripped off, um, people homeless, uh cement structures hanging in the ocean, like halfway in the ocean, and just uh, people de uh, desperate, desperate for water and desperate for power and desperate for food. And that's just heartbreaking to me. But uh, the one of the things I did see, and this is kind of funny because, you know, although when we got off the first plane, uh, we started making our way to my house and we stopped off to uh, an empanada stand. I was like, you know what? That little mom and pop spot is open, so let's just go there right now and let's go buy up all this shit and 
we bought a whole bunch of empanadas and paid double the price for them just for the hell of it because we felt like, yo, these people are trying to get their hustle on. We need to support. But uh, the cool shit is, is that I saw this lady with rollers in her hair. I'm like, oh, shit, check this girl out. She is really ready for Friday night. <laughs> she got her rollers in her hair. She getting ready to party. So the resilience throughout that traumatic experience has been amazing because a lot of people have actually been uh, rebuilding their homes, putting the rooftops back on them. And, and uh, also, even when it came to the uh, the airport in Aguadilla, the, um, like FEMA had no no hand in helping that airport to get back on its feet. It was the airport community and the local handymen and women that put the airport together. So when that airport was put together and uh, FEMA, was, FEMA basically told them, look, you have to secure this airport in order for any kind of supplies to come down here. They, they said they'd do it in five days, and then they ended up doing it, doing it in three days. And still, FEMA did not have a plane, or, or the U.S. government did not have a plane land with supplies until two weeks after the airport was already fixed. Damn. Uh, yeah, so it's some bullshit. So the thing is that that same airport is the airport that I landed in, and I was there before FEMA and the president. And the president never even made it over there, so you know, he didn't make it to the west side of the island. But, uh, you know, we were there. I, I made connections with people over there. We were able to get uh, about 900,000 pounds of supplies over to the west side, which when no one else was dropping supplies there. And, um, you know, we've we just been able to kind of like have a modern day underground railroad happening. And mm. we've taken it upon ourselves. Just, you know, it's funny. I, I went there as, as a Puerto Rican, but I left there a human being, man. So it, it became bigger than just being Puerto Rican. It was just on a human level. This is some shit that we had to do and we needed to get our hands dirty and make sure that we do it because uh, we can't sit around waiting for the U.S. government to do it because they were doing a horrible job. The local Puerto Rican government was doing a horrible job. So we were like, hey, you know, this is going to be a, a, a for the people, by the people kind of thing. All right. And, and, and where could I donate and where can other people donate and find out more information uh, uh, All right. Uh, going forward. Yeah. So we started a, a fundraiser, GoFundMe, and actually we're form, forming a, a, a Rocksteady for Life foundation at, at the moment. But the uh, the fundraiser started off with a ten thousand dollar goal, and up today, up to up to date, we've been we've raised over uh, between the GoFundMe and other sources um, over one hundred fifty six thousand dollars. You know, beyond that ten thousand dollar goal. And then, you know, people can go to GoFundMe.com uh, slash RSC for life or just search Rocksteady for life on GoFundMe. I'm going to donate. I'm going to encourage the listeners uh, <laughs> of the podcast to donate. And, um, you know, I respect what you're doing. You're such an icon. Uh, and, and, you know, I know you're, you're, you're all New York, everything. Um, I mean, you're, you're, you're about as quintessential uh, of a New Yorker as, as it gets, man. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it, man. And, you know, just so the people know out there, uh, we haven't used one penny of these funds raised for ourselves. Any of my, our personal expenses, even for myself, they're either covered by me or Red Bull, who has been, been having my back on this 100%. But all monies raised uh, go towards helping the people of Puerto Rico. All right, good. You're, you're, you're a part of that, and you're making sure that that's happening. Oh, yeah. We are hands-on. We, we're doing everything, hands-on in every way, front lines. I'm going back to Puerto Rico in about, a, in less than two weeks, and we'll do another mission. 
All right, dope. All right, can I ask you some hip hop questions? Can I ask you some Rock yeah, City Crew go. questions? I mean, let me let me ask you this: When's the first time you saw that you could remember someone rapping and DJing, and, and what was that like? Where did you see it? And, and, and paint that picture for me. All right. So the first time I, I first my first hip hop experience, not knowing what it was, had to be in 1976. I didn't know that the uh, the house parties or the basement parties that were happening up the block from me on Garfield Street in the Bronx uh, were these little, you know, underground jams. And then uh, one day my cousin moved to an area in the Bronx called Cretona Avenue. And right by 180th Street, they used to throw park jams in there. So in uh, 1977, he brought me to a park jam and I was blown away. I was 10, 10 and a half years old, and I'm thinking like, wow, you know, I'm looking at graffiti writers tagged up in each other's books, B-boys and B-girls, and getting down on the cypher. I didn't know what they were doing, and uh, uh, DJs and MCs. So it, w- it was kind of like a, a coming-to-life moment for me. And I'm, I'm over here, I'm a little shorty, and then all these people, whether they're two or three years older than me, that's a big difference in height when mm-hmm. you're that age. So I'm thinking like, wow, this thing, this is colossal. This is amazing. I try to break that day in my B-boy bumwear or whatever. And I I was just like a scrub. And I I played myself. I had the corny clothes and trying to dance with no moves. So that was me. But I fell in love with what I saw and and it stayed with me ever since. But, um, you know, it, it, it just became something that I got involved with. My cousin started teaching me. And then six months later, because of the way I was uh, evolving, I started teaching my cousin. So wow. things are moving fast for me. But, you know, we, we're also talking about, you know, the Boogie Down Bronx, which was also known as, known as the Burn Down Bronx. So it wasn't sexy, you know, and, and it wasn't as glamorous as I thought it was. It was just I was blown away as a little kid. But we lived in a real fucked up environment. So, uh, you know, we we even uh, even when I met the guys, the, the guys who started Rocksteady, um, they brought me to go snatch a purse on the day that I met them. Uh. You know, so it was kind of like, all right, we're, we're going to bring you into our world. Let's go snatch a purse right now. We were unsuccessful that's that crazy. day, but, you know, <laughs> but that's that was kind of like uh, along the path of breaking. We were parallel doing, you know, some fucked up shit. When did you get a sense that breakdancing and rhyming and DJing was becoming a thing outside of the Bronx? Like, wh- what do you remember about it becoming like, oh, shit? Not even like when it got, you know, big in the flash dance days and wild stuff. Like, but, like, what was your first memory of it was like, oh, this is like a, a thing that other people know about as opposed to just us, uh, us up here in the Bronx? Well, anyone that knew about it, it happened because, well, look, you had your Flashes and all these other people who had it. In 79, they had their record deals, Curtis Blow, but they weren't presenting hip-hop. They were presenting rap. So the thing is, is that when we first started going down uh, to the downtown scene and performing because of Henry Chalfant or Cool Lady Blue, we were hitting spaces like uh, the, the Mud Club, the Kitchen Center for Performing Arts, Soho Grounds. Uh, the Peppermint Lounge, uh, the Grill, Dance Interior, and the Roxy. So during that time, that's when uh, 
Studio 54 was transitioning and phasing out. So we were the new hot shit. Mm-hmm. So you people like like Farrah Fawcett Majors hanging out in, in the Roxy and uh, who else? The Sex Pistols, whether it was punk, reggae, or hip-hop, you started to see this merger of these people who are kind of like against-the-grain, anti-establishment people all hanging out in the downtown scene. And that led to uh, magazines uh, magazines and newspapers covering it, like the East Village Eye, the Village Voice, uh, New Musical Express, like a lot of British tabloids and, mm. and magazines were covering it. And that's what led to this whole this whole wave of, of hip-hop to, to start going on tour. But I, I, for me personally, I'll tell you, all that stuff, we did that, and it's something that we never tried to chase. We weren't chasing an industry. We were just trying to get some ghetto fame. Uh-huh. But uh, after we had done some promotion for Flashdance, and this is already 83, we, 1983, we've already been on tour already. I'm sitting in, in Hawaii, in Waikiki, and this, this, this white man comes up to me in his dockers and blue shirt, and... And he's, he sits next to me. He's like, hey, weren't you on David Letterman's show? And I'm like, yeah. And that in that moment, I was, what, 17 years old? And I'm thinking, oh, shit, man, I'm kind of famous. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, it's, now it's like beyond ghetto fame. That's when I first realized that there was a serious impact. And, you know, we we'd already, we'd already done, like, Lincoln Center and all these other places. But when you're 6,000 miles away and someone comes up to you and says they know who you are, and you're 17, and it's 1983. Like, damn, that's crazy. How big was like Flashdance, and 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 obviously, you know, you had been a part of. I mean, you're you're so much a part of of all this shit, you know, with Wild Style, and like, just I mean, even the sh- the shit that's not documented, the the memories, you know. Um, but you know, the people, the things that people could grasp on, like myself, you know, like Wild Style, Star Wars. Uh, Beach Street, uh, and obviously Flashdance took things to a whole other level in terms of, I mean, you guys were just in the movie when you look back on it, not for, for you're, you're just in there that one scene, and then, you know, is it true that you actually did some of the dancing for Je- Jennifer Beals? Yeah, at, at the end when she's doing the audition, I just do the backspin, so I, you know, I had to uh, wear a leotard and tights and a wig <laughs> and capizios and you know, I think the worst thing about that for me was that, you know, I, I'm, uh, I was 17 years old and I'm thinking like, fuck, man, they, I'm just growing a mustache and now they want me to shave it <laughs> off. And I'm beach, a little machismo thing going on. And so I think I was disturbed more by that than anything else because that felt like, damn, I shaved this. It's going to be harder to get girls because all my boys got mustaches. That's funny. Dude, so, <laughs> so, but when Flashdance blew up and, and I was 13 at the time, and, 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 you know, that's when things, you know, sort of encompassing it. Run DMC was out and, you know, it started popping off. Like, but at that at that time, like, how, how crazy did it get? And, like, were, were you going all around the world at that point? Yeah, we were already traveling a lot. We, we were constantly traveling, whether it be Japan, France, uh, UK, Germany, all, you know, Netherlands and all that stuff and, and it was pretty busy for us we were a we were doing a it's weird because we were touring a lot more than a lot of recording artists mm. were touring you know we were um doing something that was basically you know number one we were teenagers 
and, and we represented the streets. So usually every, anything that teenagers do that's like fucking super cool, it's like, oh, the shit, all the other kids want to do it. And when you're going through those defining years in your life when you're trying to establish your identity and you're still trying to like not do what your parents are saying, but do, do your own thing. A lot of people did what we were doing and they wanted to become what we were. We were. You know, not knowing that we were like also living a double lifestyle at the same time because we go on tour and then we do some like really fucked up shit, like go rob somebody after we get off tour. Mm. So, you know, we were we were super rough around the edges, man. We were wilding out, and um, you know we, that was that had a lot to do with our environment and how we grew up and and the desperation that we lived in. You know, whether being on welfare or domestic violence in the house, or you know just really uh, um, dysfunctional home situations that a lot of us lived in and led to kind of like us just wilding out back then. Damn, that's crazy. In your wildest dreams, Legs, in your wildest fucking dreams, did you ever imagine that hip-hop would be what it is today in 2018 with all the money, all the... I mean, forget crossover. Forget, you know, like, I remember, you know, when it was like, you know, like... uh, Serial commercials, you know. I mean, in, 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 in the 80s, I mean, for, forget forget all that because that's like child's play to compare to where we are now. In your wildest fucking dreams, did you ever imagine that it would still be such a prominent, important part of beyond New York City? It's the entire world. Like, did you ever like fathom this shit? No, I mean, when you think about where we lived and how we grew up, ghetto props. And meeting girls as a little kid was all we wanted. There was no opportunity or, or, or any lane that was established for us to have a lane, uh, you know, a lights on Broadway and, and on the silver screen or having a record deal. So none of that was was a reality for us. We had the typical ghetto dreams of being a, an athlete or, or a musician. Mm. We didn't have many things to, uh, to basically look at and say, hey, you know, this person in my family is doing this, you know? So I want to be that because they inspire me. They did great things. We didn't really have those things. So no, not at all, man. I mean, you know, when, when you're uh, on, even when we were on tour, we never really stopped to look. Mm. So, you know, I would say from 85, eight, like 86 to 89, we were on hi- hiatus, me personally. And, and uh, when we started doing things again in 1990, you know, and I realized, oh, shit, I can still tour and people are still, you know, I'm relevant when it comes to the history of, of what we did. I have promised myself that I would stop and look and look this time around and, and appreciate what I was part of. So, you know, I took it more serious the second time around because, uh, you know, in the 70s, 80s, I was just a little ghetto bastard. I got you. I got you. Where is Rocksteady Crew now, now that it's been so long and you, you guys have grown up and there, there's, you know, like you've learned business and all like, wh- what is, what is Rocksteady Crew today in 2018 in terms of, you know, the worldwide thing? Like how many people are involved? Like, what does it mean to you and what do you think it means to the world? Well, we're definitely not snatching any purses. I'll tell you that. Much. Y'all ain't snatching <laughs> no more purses, legs. <laughs> you know, um, here's the thing. When we got, when I got into Rocksteady, it was it was wild. You know, some sick of kids or whatever people were doing their street stuff. How how many and people now, were in it at first? Like when it, the first time you heard Rocksteady Crew, how many people were in it and who? What were their names? Wow, Jimmy D, Jimmy. It was, it was probably about 10, 12 people. Jimmy D, Jimmy Lee. There was those were the founders. 
a dude named Jojo, Easy Mike, CN, a brother named Weebles, and uh, a few other heads I can't even remember because I didn't really grow up with them. Okay, uh, okay. But Rocksteady was eventually given to me in 1979, and I grew Rocksteady to be up to 500 people back in the 80s. And when you think about how old I was, and I was running a group of 500 people, and I had no uh, training in how to manage a group like that, it was pretty wild. But right now, uh, we have about 45 people. And if you are a young person, you have to basically be doing really well in school. Uh, everyone in, every, all the kids in Rocksteady right now are pretty much A students. You know, That's dope. Whether, they're in, whether they're in college, high school, middle school, whatever. Everyone is uh, expected to do really well and everyone is on, is on a, a, a great path. I actually... Um, put two younger people in charge of Rocksteady because I feel like, you know, sometimes you have to know when, when it, you know, pass the baton so mm -hmm. that it stays fresh and it stays relevant. And so there's this girl, she's 21 years old. Her name is B-Girl Phoenix. And uh, she lives in LA and uh, she's uh, vice president of Rocksteady. And my boy, why not? B-Boy, why not? Is a senior vice president of Rocksteady. And I'm actually focusing more on music, you know, creating music festivals and building the Rocksteady brand on the business tip while they keep Rocksteady alive on the battlefront. I got you. When it comes you. to the dance and performing, you know? And, and in regards to the dancing and the performing, you know, what you guys did and created, and, and you know, and obviously there, there was a whole bunch of you, um, and when you see what kids do now, like with their bodies, like w what is your take on it? Because you see it differently then like I see it. I can't fucking, I can barely fucking walk and, you know, chew gum at the same time. I got my little two-step, that's it. You know, I can't break dance. I can't up rock. I can't, I can't nothing. Yeah. But when you see what people could do with their bodies and the flips and the craziness, and like, what is your impression of it just as a dancer and somebody that's so integral to creating this stuff? Well, now, now that I'm not focusing on, on the dance from a competitive aspect, me personally, I get to look at it for what look at it for what it is, and I get to appreciate and support the next generation. I'm happy right now that we're at a point within the dance where there's a, a, a nice balance between like the funk, the flavor, the acrobatics, and the style, and, and, and the rhythmic patterns. So I, I'm very supportive of them, even when it comes to like you know I know a lot of people have issues with with um, you know the idea that yeah we even when, with rap music we like what we like you know, growing up. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people forget that a lot of the music that we liked while we were growing up was at a, you know, pivotal time in our lives. We were really establishing our lanes. And those are the times when you had your first kisses and your prom and all that other stuff. So all the shit that was playing while all that was happening is the soundtrack to our lives. Mm. So even with, even with trap music, I don't, I don't bother the kids on their music. You know, I, I'm like, do your thing. Cause you know, number one, they're, those kids are, are could be our kids right now. Right. And number two, uh, they're gonna make their own mistakes the same way, the same way I did, like when we was doing stick ups and dumb shit. And, and um, number three, it's like let them live. They're gonna figure it out later on. The, the good shit and the whack shit. There's gonna be some classics. And, right. And, uh, you know, even some of our classics right now that we can't get out of our head were whack. You I know? got but you. It's like, yeah, I, I remember that shit. You know, da ha da ha. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like the <laughs> rapping Duke, like really, Come right, on. <laughs> right, right. It's funny. It's funny because because <laughs> at the time that shit was it was whack, and then you know, 
And then obviously with Biggie name dropped it, and, and, and then but like when you look back on it, you sort of have a softer, a softer appeal yes. for it because of the, the nostalgia. Nostalgia does a lot. Exactly, exactly. Because you know you, that that could also lead to the funny stories of like, yeah, you remember that cornball dude was singing it that day? Oh man, <laughs> that shit was funny. Right. You know we start shooting spitballs at him. Remember. Right. <laughs> All right, well, yo, so, Legs, yeah. I appreciate uh, you, you taking the time. Uh, again, you can uh, check out uh, the, the GoFundMe for Rocksteady for Life. It's you know GoFundMe.com forward slash RSC for Life. I'm going to post it with the yep. podcast. I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, I Thank you, bro. And like I said, you know, I, you know, the word legend and icon, it's thrown around a lot, but you, you, you are actually a legend, actually an icon, actually a person who's so much a part of uh, – uh, of everything hip hop today, and nothing but respect, and, and you know I could vow just this, this is a good dude, and uh, I'm gonna support myself, and I, and I encourage everybody else to look into uh look into it and support themselves as, as much or as little as you possibly can. Yeah, and, and anything matters, you know. That's all good. All right, cool I legs. It. I appreciate the time. I appreciate you rocking with me, up rocking with me on the yeah. I Am Rapper for Stereo podcast. Yes, sir. We got to get you out to Puerto Rico. I would love it. I would love it. Well, let's do it. All right. Cool, bro. Thank you. All right, my man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, All right As I said, G. Moody, last name rhymes with duty, would be joining me on the Iron Rapport Stereo podcast. I had a great interview with the icon, Rocksteady Crew, mm. Crazy Legs. Uh, Icon. I mean, listen, if you, if you don't know who uh, Crazy Legs is, you don't get shamed here. Just look it up. Look up the Rocksteady yeah. Crew Crazy Legs because I, I, I implore you uh, to know about the history of all things hip-hop. Um, but now I'm with the, uh, the three-peating champion, the man who uh, was <laughs> back-to-back-to-back podcast co-host of the year. Um couldn't be on the whole podcast with me today. He was uh, flying east coast to west coast. He had a, a tumultuous, uh, tumultuous time getting from the east coast to the west coast. Isn't that right, Mr. Moody? Uh, yeah, JFK is in tatters. Uh, they won't even give you your fucking bags. Huh. They, can't, they can't give you your bags out of the, the fucking uh, baggage claim. They just put them out. You, you, if you go out, you'll see luggage all over the floor. <laughs> Why? But is this shit frozen? Yes. And you have to pick yours. You have to pick it out. Um, you're not a big TV guy. I don't think we've ever discussed an award show in full. Um, we're not going over the awards. Um, listen, no. at the end of the day, uh, I think this was a very successful Golden Globes award show. Oprah Winfrey shut it down. Almost brought me to a tear. Oh, yeah? Almost brought me to a tear. Her, her speech about her life and her struggle and... Everything that, you know, got her to getting this, you know, Lifetime Achievement Award. Again, we don't uh-huh. fact check here at the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. Um, but she won basically the Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, she gave a great speech. Uh, and, and it was cool. I have to say, uh, friend, co-star of the movie Beautiful Girls. I love her. I didn't really like what my girl Natalie Portman said right after... Oprah Winfrey left the stage. Oprah gave her speech, standing ovation. People are crying. People are excited. Um, you know, obviously, it was very pro 
pro-female as it should be. She exemplified and articulated every single thing uh, with the uh, bringing the, the attention, the, the, the hashtag me too, all of that to the attention. And then the next thing um, that was said was by my girl, Natalie Portman, who I won't disrespect because I love her, but her comment right afterwards, she was doing the, the best director award and she said the all male nominees are, and I'm like, yo, see, Oprah wasn't doing all that. Right, right. You're disrespecting see? these people that put their work up there um, for no reason. Right, right. You, That's discrimination. You're no, discriminating. I mean, like she, she was uh, like saying, oh, it should be. Listen, I don't know uh, the, all the movies this year, and I don't know who got left out, who didn't get left out, but they're not going to give the awards based on gender or race. This year, right. if it's all male nominees, it's all male nominees, and that's okay. Yeah. Like, what were they supposed to do? Like, oh, we got to make sure we give two women, uh, two men. One of them has to be black. Another one has to be Asian. Right. Uh, you can't, like, for, yeah. for, for her to say that after Oprah, who, who was, was very open and, and, and very um, loving towards everybody, I just thought it was, was in bad taste. Right, right. It's on the merits of your work. If they happen to be men or if they happen to be women or women, it's okay, too. Plenty of women won awards all night. Right. The best director of a TV show was a woman. And it, the, the, the point is, is that, listen, listen, Oprah was great. I still don't know what Stedman does. Is that her man? They, are, are they married? Yo, I don't know what Stedman does. He don't speak. He, he just be chilling and shit. Like, he's been chilling for like 35 years in the cut. Like, he, what's your deal, Stedman? He's a, he's a kept guy. All he got to do is just lay the pipe. Mm. He don't say shit. He's never out anywhere. He's a he's a kept guy, and his job is to just lay pipe. Mm. There you go. There you go, bro. <laughs> he knows that, right? There's no shame in it. That that woman is a billionaire. I do the same shit. There you go, my man. <laughs> That's my man right there, G Monetti. <laughs> G Moody last name rhymes with duty. Right. Um, you know, so overall, you know, I think that the point was made. Um, I think it's going to be, obviously, there has to be follow through. It's all good to bring people who are lifelong uh, activists to the award show. What did you think of them bringing the activists to the award show, Mr. Moody? I, I'm sick of it. Every, every year, it's some porn that they put out here every year i tune in you said i'm not a tv guy but i am certain at certain times because i do like these award shows sometimes i like to see the glamour the glitz and all that but i'm it's always i'm inundated with people with, with their platforms get the award thank your family and get the fuck off stage so the next person can get the award i want to see what the show was designed for mm. to celebrate the arts to celebrate uh, great works. Now it's this, uh, uh, this me too. Next year it's going to be hashtag. Oh, you forgot about me. Listen, huh. I want to see the awards. I don't want to hear. Of course, the sexual assault shit is terrible. Of course, but listen, man, this has been going on for eight months, and I want to get a reprieve from that because I know about it. It's it's every day. Get the award. Thank your moms, thank your pops, thanks to agents, and get the fuck off stage. Yo, 
get the award and get the fuck up off the stage, Duke. And and I want to say this. There's some of these new Jack Young actors up there. Yo, if you show up at an award show and you're asked to present, if you don't smile and all that shit, they should yank you the fuck up off the stage, too. Like, you're, you're, you're too serious and... You I mean, get the fuck up off the stage, I man. You're at the Golden Globes, I man. You're presenting an award. I don't even remember this one kid's name. He's up there, like, not smiling. He's all si- Beat it, money. Yeah. Take care. If it's so hard and it's if it's so uncomfortable for you to present at the Golden Globes, you're in the wrong business. Absolutely. These guys with their, with their faux shyness and all that. If you're so shy, you shouldn't accept the offer to present at the Golden Globes, money. <laughs> you look <laughs> and, like you got a gun to your fucking back. I don't even know the name of the one, the dude. One of these and, Star Wars ass, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. one of these Star Wars ass Shakespearean ass motherfuckers up there, like <laughs> looking like he don't want to be there. And you could have called one, me and Moody. We would have been happy as fuck. Hell yeah, we yeah it would have been a great show. But yo, also I've noticed the crosshairs are now on the white men. Yes, on white on white man on the white man in general. Yeah. He's in the crosshairs, but you got to watch out because the white man controls all this shit. Mm. <laughs> so you whistleblow and you, you all this squealing. It's not it's, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good because he's going to give blowback because he's in the crosshairs I'm telling you the self-effacing uh, uh, jokes just in yep. the monologue. Seth Myers, the 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 host of the show, this he he, yeah. he he mentioned white men and he made self-effacing white men jokes, generalizing four, four generalizing. times, yeah, in the monologue. All right, the last of his four jokes was, oh, he was bringing up the presenters and he said, oh, I hope it's not two white men. Why not? Yeah, you 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 snarky cornball motherfucker. Like, listen, I I, I am not free of guilt. I am not free of prejudice, okay? (laughs) And we all are. To try to act like any one of us is holier than now or all that stuff. But I am not fulfilled and in fear of guilt and all these other things of being a white dude. I don't get it. You know, these guys like, oh, I hope it's not two white guys. Oh, it's like, oh, the the white guys are the butt of the jokes. And they're, listen. Young black men out there, there is no better time than right now. If you're interested in betting down with a, a white lady. Right. If, it's, if you're exclusive to this, this is your time. Now is the time to act because you could use that white guilt to get yourself some ass more so now than ever before. Yeah. To all my yeah. young homies out there. The pendulum has switched. Black. <laughs> Latin, Asian, whatever you are, if you're looking to try to explore a little white snapper, now is the time to act. You could kick anything you want Uh huh. to these ultra-guilty white girls. Not all of them, but the ultra-guilty ones. All you got to do is be like, oh, you don't know what it's like. <laughs> oh, you don't know where, what it's like or how I grew up. Uh, yeah. You don't know what it's like where I come from, and the panties will come off if you get the right one. But more so than ever, all you got to do is kick a little bit of that Willy Bobo. Yeah, yeah. Kick that old Willy Bobo shit. 
instantaneously. Oh, because because the guilt is at a is at a high order, and they're very public with the guilt. Oh, the white girl guilt is 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 at an all time high. Yeah, and if you're looking for white guilt, don't come to me, okay? Because you ain't getting it over here, motherfucker. Yeah. You could talk to Seth Myers and all these cornball big teeth motherfuckers. I'm not the one. Yeah. Okay? Picture me getting up on stage just just dissing uh black men like that. Like but, but, yo, yo, that's that's some weak shit, man. Exactly, the, them, them man. Jo- them them jokes ain't funny either. Listen, I'm not naming names. They act like Black men and men of color, which is a new term, by the way. Women of color, men of color. Did I miss something over the last 47 years of my life? Is that a new term, men of color, that's, women of color? Have you heard that, that before? That's, that's just a uh, multicultural, so you don't have to say black people. So What's wrong with women, that? You, you, what's wrong? They, the, the, the same white people are, are so quick to make jokes about themselves, but the... Black people. I, I, this is not, I, I want to be cool. They don't even know what to say. People are so, they're so freaked out and guilted out and they're, they're so like fucking shook up. They're making things hard for themselves. That men of color shit like, I'm black. I'm a black person, B. Straight up. That's it. Call and, me black. Are you offended if a non-black person refers to you as a black person? Hell no. Well, see, we're in a weird time. We're we're in a weird fucking time. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yo, you better not call me nothing else. <laughs> I want to be just how I've been: black American, black person. Leave that person of color shit out. I don't want that. I've um, always been. I've always had color. <laughs> well, it, it's award season, so this is just the first of going to be many, 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 many nights of this bullshit. Oh, I'm surprised. Uh. The black babies weren't in tow. Uh, usually when the award season comes out, man, they trump them up. But now it's uh, sexual assault and stuff like that. But I understand on their platform you want to say something. I understand that. And uh, uh, enough now. Enough of all that shit. Um, you got anything else on these Golden Globes? Last words. Get the awards and get the fuck off stage. Um. I finally want to say this with disappointment. Uh, the show that I was so fucking proud of. Uh, you know, I'm fortunate to have this show, Atypical. We're getting ready to start working on season two. And uh, I'm excited about that. I was just as excited, um, but very disappointed. And I got to share with you guys. They canceled White Famous, Showtime, uh, show hey. Jay Farrow, produced Why? by James. Yo, I don't fucking know. The numbers were good, not great, but they were oh. too quick to cancel it. People just started catching on. I could tell when momentum's building, you know, started getting shout out on the streets, Twitter, right. people were binge watching it, and that's the nature of the business. I encourage you to watch if you have Showtime or Showtime on the go or whatever the fuck you got. Uh, you should watch it. The show's dope, um, but they Damn. shut us down, and that's part of the business, man, and it, it's it's... They don't give you reasons, you know. It all comes back right. to numbers. They say, you know, the ratings, the ratings. So, so whatever it is, it is, um, you know. And, and the people that saw it loved it, and the people that continue to see it will be like, why the fuck would they cancel? The shit was funny, right? Um, and uh, yeah. you, you know, it's all good. All right, listen, we just dropped this episode because we love dropping episodes. Um, Moody, I'm glad you're yes. back in New York safe. Uh, yeah. 
We got some bangers coming up. I am Rap yeah. Stereo Podcast. I want to thank once again my main man, Crazy Legs, from the Rocksteady Crew. G yes. Moody, last name rhymes with duty. Uh, yes. Is back safe out of the friendly skies. And um, the Iron Rap Stereo Podcast is going to keep on keeping on. Peace.